Welcome to the Tech Talk Show, an hour of news, views and discussion. Well, welcome to the show. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hi, Steve. How have you been? Oh, sorry. Oh. I keep doing that. Do you know these new microphones <laughs> yeah. are actually tricking us a lot? Yeah. Go on. How are you? I'm very well. How are you, Steve? Yeah, really, really good. So um, we've got someone on the line already. We're going to come to Jack in a second, but mm. you've got a very quick news story. Yeah? I have indeed. Yep. Yeah, yeah go on. So um, the world's first hydrogen-powered passenger chain has taken to the tracks in Germany. Really? Yeah. So, um, so it is the world's first um, f- hydrogen-fuel passenger passenger carrying train and it's undergone initial that's easier for you to see it <laughs> obviously not that easy no. but it's um, undergone its initial tests um it's powered um and it's powered by a hydrogen fuel cell which creates the electricity um and it's been it's on a special um specially designed test track in uh, Salzinger and reaching speeds up to 80 kilometers an hour so not a very quick train then not at the moment no, no. but um they expect that passenger tests will start in 2018 and okay. could see it coming to the uk in 2021 fantastic well as i say battery technology is one of the biggest areas we see movement in and have done in the last few years haven't mm. we so anyway let's go straight to the phone and we have got jack churchill from scanning pens hi jack welcome to the show and jack isn't there let's try hi jack can you hear Hello. us Hi, there we go. How are you, Jack? (laughs) I'm very good. I'm glad we're connected. Yeah, Yeah. we've been failed a bit by technology today. So (laughs) I think think it might not be the technology. I think it's the people operating it the other end. Anyway, welcome to the show. Um, Now, we talked a little bit off air before we started, and I always used to struggle with exams and actually reading through exam papers and the detail necessary. Tell us a little bit about scanning pens and how that could have helped me. Yeah, so um, we've had a business called Scanning Pens for about 12 years now, and in the last three years, we've managed to have get some new technology created, which is really fast, accurate, uses uh, cameras rather than scanner technology, so it, it really works for children and adults alike. Um, it also has a really good voice on it, so you can you know, hear the, the quality yeah. of the sound. And it comes with headphones, which you can plug in. So typically... Up until about a year or so ago, most kids who struggled with reading in exams were put in separate rooms with human readers yep. and you know, away from their peer group. And any time they got stuck on a word, they would ask the person in the room, could you come and help read me sure. some of the questions? About 50,000 kids a year have this arrangement. So it's quite a lot of children in the, in the UK who get this. Anyway, we have a solution now called the exam reader, the C-Pen exam reader. And it's a pen uh, with a screen and it comes with headphones. The kids can be back in the main exam hall reading their exam questions. And when they get stuck on a word, they scan over it and they hear it aloud through the earpiece. Fantastic. And it just means they're independent. So uh, before, we were setting them up to fail in a way because they were going to leave school. They look behind them and go, hang on, where's my human reader to read everything to me? Now they're using a bit of technology which they can use all day, every day, all year to help them uh, with their reading to decode the words they get stuck on. So how hard, I assume that the tech, does the tech sit in the pen or does it sit back at the screen? Where's the actual... Uh, the, so sorry, the, it's a pen, so it's like a large highlighter pen yeah, um, with a camera at one end and then it's got a screen on it. Oh, on it itself, okay. On it itself, yeah. so it's a pen-shaped device, There's n- you don't need a computer, you don't need anything else, it works on its own, it's all rechargeable battery, Okay. swipe it over the words like a highlighter pen and it reads aloud to you straight away. So oh, do you have a website for that? 
Yes, so um, the, the website is scanningpens.com. Okay. But uh, for people who want to find out more about the reader pen and exam reader, there's individual websites called readerpen.com and examreader.com. Okay, great. Dan, go on. Yeah, so I was just wondering, Jack, so obviously, you know, uh, exams are quite um, sort of controlled environments. Uh, you know, is there some sort of, you know, do, have to, do they have to be approved or be, you know, easily seen by the, you know, the teacher that this is an approved, you know, technical device to take in so, you know, the, the child's, uh, children aren't cheating or whatever? Definitely. So the exam board said to us three things. They said uh, it, it, um, it mustn't have a dictionary, mustn't have storage on it, and it must be brightly coloured in right. this sort of lurid orange, which it is, <laughs> so that it stands out maybe in a sports hall where there's 300 children. And also the, the, the children can't take it in themselves. It, it has to be put on the desk in front of them right, before okay. the exam starts. You, know, you can't just turn up with something like this. Mm. It has oh, yeah. to be part of their normal way of working too, so they can't just be given it on the day. They need to be confident and happy using it. I mean, I'm looking at the website. First of all, great website, thanks. I think it's really, uh, really easy to follow. Um, it talks about the weight of the pen, and you've been able to bring that down. It's only 50 grams, and that includes the screen as well, or is that just the pen itself? Yeah, that's everything. So that's you know, everything. The pen and the screen are all, all one, and um, yeah, the, the pen's halved in size and halved in weight in recent years. Yeah. So now even young people as young as six or seven who struggle with reading can happily use these to read their books. And how hard was it to miniaturise that and actually achieve that? Um, well, we work with different manufacturers, and I mean, I've got emails going back 10, 12 years where I've tried to persuade the manufacturers to create smaller, faster pens with better voices, and yeah. they never really did what I asked. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Anyway, finally, um, the Swedish company called C-Pen, uh, who we meet with on a regular basis, they've put the time and the effort in and the money in, and they've created these new pens, which really are state-of-the-art, and... They're two hundred. They're sort of two hundred pounds each, and I mean there is a cost to that. But you know that's the same price as having a, a professional human reader come and sit with a child sure. for one day, and they've got it for the entire year and beyond. Hmm. And I was just wondering. So you know, you, you, the exams are sort of an hour of time or something like that. What what sort of battery uh, life can you expect to get out of out of the pen? Yeah, good question. So they've got about an eight hour uh, battery life that's on right. fairly constant use. Okay, that's good. So, so for for like a day full of exams, it could be you know uh, moved on from from you know child to child. You know, that's as, right. As yeah. So, um, not just English as well. Various various languages. Um, yeah, the exam reader pen works in five languages: English, Italian, French, German, and Spanish. Yep. And um, so that's our lockdown version for exams. We also have this reader pen, which is probably yeah. the more common device. It's white. Yep. And it includes dictionaries for looking up the meaning of words. Oh, okay. It translates English, Spanish, Spanish, English. And it also includes data capture. So you can go to the library, capture text, bring it back, load it onto your PC, Mac, or Linux. Okay. So what and about... A voice, and a voice recorder, too. And a voice recorder. Okay. Yeah. So how hard was it to get the storage within the pen, I assume? Uh, relatively straightforward, or is that... <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was about moving from an old chipset to a new chipset. So the old pens, which we've been selling for the last 14 years, and in fact we do still sell, had about 16 megabytes of um, you know, space and, and memory and stuff. So now the new ones are 4 gig. So it just gives you some idea of the huge leap forward yeah. that has been made. Yeah, I mean, that's a massive amount of text, I assume. They yeah. Thousands of books um, or tens of hours of voice recording. So is the plan to go for other languages as well? Because it's almost like an instantaneous translating mm. device, isn't it? So we do have a third pen. So we mentioned already the reader pen, the exam reader. We also have one called the dictionary pen. Right. And that translates in seven languages. Um, 
um, mainly into English and out of English, but that includes Russian and Chinese. So, I mean, Mandarin must have been really hard. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I assume well, it's, it's Mandarin, yeah, when you say... Yeah, well, it's yeah. just about, um, I suppose, utilising technology that's already out there, and, um, you know, we hope to add more and more dictionaries in the coming years to yeah, English to Arabic. that's great. So, UK-based company, is that right? Yes, yeah, so we're based near Bath, and we've recently set up an office in Clearwater, Florida, too, because uh, we're selling a lot into America, too, now. I mean, we do get lots of... Um, Lots of people listening in that have set up their businesses and always looking about expanding their tech business. How hard has it been to go across to America and set up and work there? Uh, yeah, I mean, great question. I mean, some bits have been a struggle. I mean, we bank with HSBC trying to set up a bank account in America. You would think, come on, manager, yeah. help me set up a bank account in America. It was really hard. And actually, an organization which is really helpful for young companies looking to broaden their overseas um, sales and marketing is the UK trade and investment and they've been really helpful to us they put us in touch with someone who helped us set up a bank account and um, right. helped, helped us set up a virtual office to deal with our returns and because it is although we speak the same language it is extremely <laughs> difficult isn't it yeah they I mean they always say it's easy to think the US is a really easy market to go into because it's sort of eight times the size of the UK but the reality is each state is run differently and there's yeah. all sorts of legislation and hurdles and <laughs> liability policies and this and that. But, you know, I would encourage anyone who's out there who's got some great bit of technology to get on and you know, try and do it because it's once you can crack the U.S. market, which I'm not saying we have quite no, yet, but no. we're getting there, um, you know, just, just to go for it. It's, there's lots to be done there. As you say, though, it is a big, big market. So, big market yeah, yeah. yeah don't underestimate it yes <laughs> so, Dan yes sorry uh, so, so Jack I was just wondering um, how does it actually you know, um, read the text yep so um, the pen uh, does OCR so optical character recognition okay it then does so, so that's taking the text that, it only works on printed material won't do handwriting so okay. it takes the printed material displays it on the screen of the pen mm -hmm. and then it does text to speech on it so it then turns it into audio so you can listen to it and that's the thing if you if you struggle with reading like one in ten people in the uk have got dyslexia you can use this pen to scan over the words hear it aloud and when you hear it aloud that's when you usually know what the word means a word like conscious you know it looks a bit strange a bit difficult to decode how mm -hmm. do i do that scan over it, it says conscious you can then quickly get on with your reading and it's it's great that you can keep your eye on the page you know you're not having to open up a phone or some computer or get someone else to come and help you you know imagine if you're in the the workplace and you struggle a bit with reading maybe it's just the odd word yeah but you know how embarrassing to have to go and ask one of your colleagues oh could you help me read this important document that's appeared on my desk or you know you're in you're a teenager at school and you stick your hand up in front of 35 other kids, Miss, you know, can you come and read to me? Mm. The reality is you don't bother, you just skip it, or you guess at it, and, you know, it's not helping you with your studies or with your work. No, I think you try to hide, don't you, and actually, so you're not, you're not seen by your classmates or colleagues as mm. being someone who can't read or cannot pronounce. So, do you see uh, the product developing so that the screen goes and it's just an audio, or will you always have both, do you think? I mean, the audio is, uh, sorry, the screen's quite useful too because it allows you to access dictionary definitions, allows you to move about the menu structure. Right. I mean, um, I mean, th th there will definitely be future developments, whether that be, I don't know, Wi-Fi so that you can access online dictionaries and mm -hmm. medical dictionaries straight away, 
or you know the pen could get smaller and like you say you could lose the screen and but um yeah i don't think we're still i mean it's easy to look at some of these technologies whether it be a bicycle and think oh we've now got motorbikes why are people still riding bicycles but some of these technologies like scanners you know i think will still be around in 50 odd years because they still have their place particularly in environments where you're not allowed a phone or a tablet or you know like an exam hall Mm. or you know, a, a preschool, or, or sorry, a primary school, or yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean, we do unboxing, and I'm just looking at exam reader unboxing. Um, we've got an unboxing segment coming up on the show, and a little bit later on. So, um, yeah, li- we encourage everybody to listen in, but also to have a look at your unboxing video on your website. So that's well worth a look. That's the exam reader website. So that's examreader.com. So, uh, but yeah, really good technology. Do you that's think? Have you seen much changes in the screens as well over the last few years in terms of resolution, uh, affordability as well? Has that changed? Yeah, I think the pricing has kind of uh, stayed the same. I mean, with um, the currency movements in recent months, we have had to put the price up a, a tiny bit. But generally, over the last five, six years, the price has, has stayed um, pretty much the same. Okay. So um, lots of people listening, as I say, who set up their own business. What's the... What's the best piece of advice or, or the best thing that you've learned over the last few years about developing products within the tech market and actually getting them to market? Um, I think you've just got to keep at it. You've got to keep, you know, uh, you'll get knocked down, knocked back constantly. Yeah. Your better half will tell you to go off and get a proper job. And uh, <laughs> if you work in your own business, it really can be quite soulless. You've got to just work hard, believe in yourself and um, yeah. you know, go out there and, and, and get it, as it were. Well, That's Jack... It. I know Dan was going to come in there. Go yeah, on, yeah, no, I was just going to say, so what, what's next for you then, Jack? Um, I mean, the whole, this exam uh, side of our business is really interesting. Mm. So as well as JCQ approving for exams in the UK, we've had Cambridge, which do the IGCSE, they've allowed it to be used in their exams. That's and that's, they, they do exams worldwide. And International Baccalaureate, so the IB, they've recently said it can be used in their exams. So, you know, I'd really like to tackle some of the other exam boards, the Irish exam boards, the Australian exam boards, the Canadian exam boards, US exam boards, um, and, and Europe, you know, because the pen works in five languages, you know, mm. French, German, Italian. Yeah. There isn't such a, a knowledge of dyslexia. We're really advanced in the UK, and I would say our AT, our assistive tech, is fantastic. You know, I go to loads of international shows, and people say to me, why are there so many British companies at this show? And it's because... We've invested lots of money in the education system. You won't hear that on normal radio stations during the day. (laughs) But we have. We've invested millions, hundreds of millions of pounds in education. There's loads of great companies which develop wonderful software, hardware out of the back of it. And these companies are now selling all over the world. So, um, No, it looks... It looks a fantastic product and uh, really nicely presented as well, I have to say. So, yeah, great. Jack, thank you so much for joining us. Just to recap, you've got scanningpens.com. And also, the other website for information is, remind me again? Uh, Readerpen.com and examreader.com. Brilliant. Great to speak to you. Thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Well, there you go. Yeah, we do. Yeah, it was good, actually. Good website, Dan, actually. Mm. Uh, You can't see that because I've got the computer in front of me, so I I can do that. I did look earlier. Did you really? Yeah, Yeah, so well prepared. Well, we're (laughs) joined... (laughs) <laughs> We're joined by Harry. Hi, Harry. How you doing? Hello, yeah. Uh, I haven't got any of the mics up, mate, so I have now, though, so great. 
and dun, 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 new producer Danny. Hi, mm. producer Danny. How are you? Your mic's on now, mate. Afternoon, gentlemen. How, How are, are you? Yeah, I'm really, really good, mate. Have you Thanks. noticed he's gravitated towards the mauve microphone? This to match his jumper yeah. and tie. He's having a very he, mauve day. He might be the most coordinated. Um, coordinated we can't talk it. today, can we? I nearly said, I nearly said, "Spank you for joining us." Did you hear me say yeah, that? Nearly, did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I shouldn't have said that on the radio, yeah. no, shouldn't I? But no, I meant to say thank you for joining us. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, Danny, yeah, um, <laughs> lovely. Anyway, I've got a story. We said we'd do a few more stories, yep. and I, the story I've got, it's not really a story actually, but what we're seeing more and more are fake news stories, which I think are actually pretty rubbish, really. <laughs> and so the fake news story that's happened before is that Rowan Axon died at the weekend. Again? Um, yeah, that's what I read, and that's what went out. <laughs> and also that uh, Chris Hammond, who is a presenter, a TV presenter, he had a serious bike accident. Well, actually, it turned out he had had a serious bike accident, but it was some months ago, and it wasn't serious. So, uh, yeah, some of these are sort of false stories mm. that go out. Why would someone invent that? I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? It's just... It's, it's just, just... A lot of time like, on people's hands, yeah. eh? Yeah, too much time, Danny. Too much time, mate. Yeah. Anyway, any other stories, Dan? Well, similarly, um, it sort of links in quite nicely to that, is that um, Google has announced that it's going to have more ad controls um, right. after a number of brands, brands have boycotted their service. Yeah, so um, they're going to roll out special tools to allow um, clients to have greater control of where the adverts appear on um, YouTube and on the Google Display Network and uh, for things like that. So uh, we've obviously seen that the you know BBC, Domino's, and the Guardian and O2 have had um, sort of some of their adverts have, um, have been placed alongside um, offensive content, including videos by the white supremacist leader David Duke. Because also M&S have just pulled their that's right, ads, yeah. haven't they? Mm. So that's uh, that's another reason, I suppose, they're yeah. reacting to market pressure. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We are now... Oh, we are. Oh, yeah. Oh, we yeah. are. We are, Dan. We're going to do this. <laughs> and here we go. Here we go, indeed. Right. So... Harry, is, uh, Harry and um, and Danny have found a product for us to have a look at, and we've, we've we don't know what it is. I haven't even looked at it yet. Okay. Um, I've just taken it out of the box, and it is a digital jump rope. A di- I didn't even hear what was that. A what? Digital. Are you speaking oh, English God. today? We can't. <laughs> is there something in the studio? There's some sort of atmospheric poisoning, or something. You can read it. A digital jump rope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so preempting anything. Have you ever been able to skip? Uh, yeah. Oh, good, because I can't. No, I'm going to look forward to watching you try, though, Dan. It's going to be a very nice experience. There's not enough room in there. So, um, nice cardboard box, um, so, white and green. Yeah, pretty, um, pretty, uh, very minimalist packaging, Ooh. which looks pretty good, actually. Yeah, it looks, it's certainly um, a lot better than some of the packaging we've had recently. Yeah, it's yeah. not certainly not from the 1980s, is it? Let's put it that way. Uh, so... Uh, Dan's opened the box. Yeah, and disappointingly, inside is a digital jump rope. Okay, it uh, looks like someone's oh. washing line, to be perfectly honest. Okay. So we have got... <laughs> okay, oh. so we've got two handles yeah. with a short length of some sort of plastic... Um, oh, I've line. got it now. So there's... They, they, yes, there's okay. no actual cord between the two. No, there is So basically, you've got a one foot of cable... With a little pom pom on the yeah. end, hanging off of each 
and it looks like your supply they, with it's spare in, tube. Yeah, it's spare tube. It looks like they in, um, intend that you use it for a long period of time to wear out the tube because it's about there's a couple of meters there, I think. Right. Okay. So. Are we yeah. sure? So, are there instructions in there? No, of course not. Uh, no instructions. <laughs> Uh, oh, right, we don't okay. happen to have so, the instructions. They're on their way down. So, Harry, you can't just, you can't do hand signals and try and get away with it. Get on that microphone now, come well, on. Well, I was thinking that there'd be, you know, this wouldn't be high-tech enough for Dan to need the instructions, but it looks like he, uh, he might be needing them. Well, I'm just going through. So that's, my, that's my uh, fallback, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Dan's fumbling with what are rather, rather natty... So he's spinning the... Uh, one. I'm just trying to see if I can get one to work. Well, you need to talk as you're doing so. Can oh, you talk and so, so operate I'll, the controls I'll, I'll, or not? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it's not... It's the, it, I wouldn't say they're immediately intuitive. That's the way I'd put it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it looks like that as well. Thanks. Oh, I think your instructions have been wrong. Oh, here we oh, go. Okay. They've arrived. Okay, so... Out of breath, Danny. It's uh, a lot of stairs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> though, yeah. Okay. So Dan's trying to read okay, perhaps he so needs a reader pen that would be, would be quite we could actually have so. it coming over the microphone couldn't we so come on dan what have we got describe it to okay, me okay so uh, i'm being asked to right so there's three buttons and a small digital display it's about the same size as um a digital watch you know okay digital watch so um okay so it's already being set up by someone to a certain degree so yeah to press set so till it flashes set minute yeah I don't know how I go down. So I'm trying to press minutes at the moment. It's on about 20. Just set any minute. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And then I won't hold you to it. Set the seconds. Crikey. Ignore that. Mm. Okay. It's like a 20 minute skipping. Right? Yeah, go on. Yeah. If you can skip it for 20 minutes, I'll pay you money. Okay. Yeah, I'll see you at the end of the show. Okay. And then it says press start. Okay. Go on, Dan. Get skipping. It's <laughs> not a great deal of room here, is there? I don't know. I, do you know I just realised I don't know how to skip. Of course you do. <laughs> is, that, is that about right? I feel like the Lord of the Dark. Yeah, but are you... You see, you're moving you your like hands and you're jumping, but yeah. is that at the right... I've no idea. <laughs> that one isn't work. Does it... What's the readout say, uh, then? I said, I'm apparently... You need to come towards the mic, yeah? Sorry. No, so, no, that's all right. I'm, yeah. I'm apparently reading 3.1, but I don't know what it's 3.1 What does 3. that mean? Feet, of. inches, no, metres, no skips? There is a small reader... It's maybe suggesting it's killer calories, but I don't know. You got any idea? No. It, it's, <laughs> what do the instructions say? It's not exactly simple, no. Dan, is it? No. So what's your feeling? Um, not easy? Slightly out of breath. <laughs> uh, well, no, it's not easy. Um, do you wanna have, would you like to have a look at that? Well, it's a skipping, skipping. It's actually... I'm how saying, would you like to hold the... Yeah, go on. It looks like, is it calories that it's burning off that Ooh, number yeah. that you had there? Yeah, it might well have been. So we've got, as you say, on the little screen, which looks like my first digital screen, to be quite <laughs> honest, um, it says 3.1, which, uh, let's try mode. So it says 0.4 of a G, or a kilograms. Yeah, so there's a number of different ways you can you can set it. to You can oh, have look, it set with a clock. Hang on, I think your... I've got the count. Oh, oh, do you know what? It feels like some sort of weapon, doesn't it? Is it like mm. a nunchucker that the old... Yeah, uh, it's multifunctional. Uh, oh. Hang on, that's not done anything. It's still on zero. Is that is that a bleep? Coming it out did bleep. I don't know. Maybe I was spinning it the wrong way. Let's try the other way. It's not your base maker, is it? It is probably going <laughs> off, Dan. I'm because I'm exerting myself. Look, I'm absolutely. 
skipping. I'm skipping. Oh, I've just hit myself with it. God, that hurts, that thing on the end. Hold on. I've done 234. Oh, I've done 230 revolutions. Well, well done. How did that happen? Well, by spinning it. I, it doesn't... I'm not convinced about this. Right, I've zeroed it. Hang on. I've zeroed oh. it. Right. I'm going away from the mic. Hang on. I've still got my headphones on, though, so you can talk. I think you should jump as well, Steve, while you're doing it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going backwards. Hang on. That's <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, I'm 22. You look like you're about to start doing the Maypole or something. Yeah, actually, yeah. Country well, dancing. Yeah, no, what's it called outside? Well, they do outside the pubs. Yeah, yeah. A Morris model. Yeah, Morris. Yes, that's exactly Yeah, it, maybe it? it's actually. We've got a new use for this. Morris men training. Yeah. Yeah, without the sticks. Mm. Well, I have to say. So, uh, well, you can tell me how much you think you'd pay for it. Yeah. Um, mm. Do you know what? It's absolutely rubbish. Yeah. Would you? No. Would you even pay for it? No, I, I wouldn't have even considered it. If somebody said, oh, what? yeah, <laughs> it came out of a cracker. Yeah. If it came out of a cracker, you'd go, well, I'd rather have the nail clippers, thank you. <laughs> wouldn't you? Yeah, and, and if kids get hold of it, they'd be hitting each other with it, wouldn't it? It would turn into some form of weapon. Mm. So, on that bit, I think I'd pay four ninety nine. Mm. Dan? I, I'm going to go... You need to have a look and a feel. The only thing is, the little thing on the end is quite hard. Have you tried hitting yourself with it? Because it really does hurt. Oh, <laughs> do you see how hard it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was quite, um, yeah, it's yeah, quite weighty. Quite yeah, that does yeah. Um, so I think I'll probably... You'll have a bruise now. Yeah. Yeah, don't do it again. <laughs> You're going to do it again, mate. <laughs> I was going to see if I can make a smiley. No. Uh, sorry. Uh, anyway, um... Seven pounds fifty. Seven pound fifty. Okay. Uh, who's got the background info? That would be me. Go on, Danny. Stun us with what it can do. Well, the original price nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, don't no. Don't tell us how much first. Tell us all the background details. Okay. Go to that first. It has an amazing LCD digital screen, which uh, you may have seen. Well, from the nineteen eighties, yeah. It was amazing once. Yes. Yeah. Um, it counts the loops, which we've all verified. Yeah. It counts your calories that you burn. Dependent on how... If you're standing still and swinging yeah, in the air. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't do a lot more after that. If I'm Is that honest. it? Yeah. Um, you can use it indoors, outdoors, office space, studios. Yeah. Yeah. On um, a bus, on a train, on yeah. a plane. You can use it as a weapon. Yeah. Uh, it's not printed on that, but you, you sure probably you could. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much all I've got on that. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Harry, do you know how much it cost? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay, so let's go for the cost of it then. So you said nineteen ninety nine, did you? Was the original price? Original. Oh, oh well, hang on, oh, we've hang got on. a bit of a deal going mm. on. Go. go on. Our friends over at Amazon allowed us to have it for nine ninety nine. Massive saving there. Massive a saving. massive saving. Yeah. I think we probably overcharged by about eight pound there. To mm. be honest, but yeah, yeah. I was thinking an even bigger save would be not to buy it at all, wouldn't it? Yeah, or just buy a skipping rope. Buy some rope. Mm. There you go. Save yourself a fortune. Everyone's well, a winner. Nine ninety nine. Yeah. So Dan, back in the box. I think Steve. Yeah. Don't you? What about Harry? you? Harry. 
Um, since uh, again, you know, my product has been widely slated. You know, I think is this your product? To, I haven't done well. The last few weeks no. have been me, and they've you just, have I've just, just been failed a bit of a miserably. But if we, if it wasn't so complicated to set up, I think once it got going, it would be it rocks. I really cannot see that, <laughs> Danny. I couldn't get it in the box fast enough. I like tell you what, mate, I yeah. couldn't get that lid on quick enough. <laughs> so three no's and a. <laughs> and a yes from fanboy there yeah. <laughs> and the only reason he's a fanboy of it is because he bought it himself yeah, yeah it's actually my Christmas present yeah, well. yeah, he yeah. Got, he'd been waiting to get rid of it for months I'm more amazed by your constant optimism than that yeah it's quite it's quite infectious though isn't it, it? Is, yeah, but it's yeah. still a no for me anyway it is, so right, yeah. anyway thank you so much Cheers, for guys. getting that Harry I am really pleased thank you yeah. so next up we have our tech savvy segment uh, and it's Richard Little from Eversheds um, with a little bit of um, uh, advice about invoicing. Yeah, very important. So I'm joined by Richard Little, and he is a partner uh, with Eversheds, really um, famous international law firm. And he's a partner in international litigation and the arbitration group, which sounds very, very impressive. I don't actually know what it is. So Richard, hi there. I'm just going to ask you what that actually means first. Uh, certainly. Uh, it means that I help companies who have got into a situation where they're in disputes with a customer or a supplier and they want a resolution either because they want to get some money back or because somebody's chasing them for some money they think they should pay over. Well, you're absolutely the right person I want to speak to today because we have a lot of our listeners um, who are running small businesses and they're issuing invoices quite often because they're using subcontractors. So so they've got subcontractors or, or they're, they're buying kit or, or other sort of supplies and, of course, they issue an invoice um, and then somebody doesn't pay. So what would you advise, first of all, on an invoice? What should you say? I presume you must put your payment terms. Uh, it's helpful to put your payment terms on an invoice, but... It, the reality is that you should have sorted out the payment terms in advance. Once you've sent the invoice out, it can often be too late. So that's about building a relationship with your supplier right at the beginning before you even get to that point. Yes, and it's also about having certainty with the supplier or the subcontractor because if you've got certainty and both sides know what is expected and they know when they're supposed to pay, it makes things a lot simpler. If you supply the equipment or the services and then say, oh, I want paid within 30 days, well, that's a change. They may not be expecting it and they may not agree it and they may even say, well, that's not our contract. And should, a, um, should an invoice on the back have some terms and conditions or is that, is that just over the top? No, it's helpful, but it really uh, confirms the position. Unless you're sending the invoice effectively as a document recording the contract, so it's up front, then it's only confirming what you've agreed. If you supply the goods or the services and then send an invoice with the terms and conditions on it, that's too late legally. And you may find the other side saying, well, we never agreed to this. So important to get to get that sorted. So presumably you, you could you could write an email or you could have a very very tiny document that just says we've agreed this you're going to deliver these and and it, 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 we've agreed it's going to be paid at this particular time. Absolutely, an email is fine. You don't need some sort of written contract. You don't need a long document. But the key thing is to be very uh, specific about the important points to you. So that's what are you supplying? When are you supplying? And how much is it going to be co going to cost? And when are you going to be paid? That's actually incredibly simple, isn't it? I mean, literally, that could be two sentences, but it's absolutely critical because if you don't, as you said, if you don't get that up front, then when somebody starts to to argue with you, you don't have a leg to stand on. Uh, 
it becomes more difficult. You can there are certain provisions you can go to in statute. There's certain um, provisions in the common law you can get to, but it becomes more difficult because you don't have certainty. So you start talking to lawyers about what is reasonably expected. What it what are the terms and conditions? Can you get within the statute regime for late payment and interest and that sort of thing? But if you specified it up front, it's simpler for you, it's cheaper for you, and it's quicker to get the, pro- the problem solved. So you need a process. You need to make sure that when you're, when you're asking people to supply you with stuff, there's a little process uh, you know, that you have at work which makes all those sort of communications go out. I've sent my invoice out. I've done that. I've sent my invoice out. I've said 30 days. This person hasn't paid in 30 days. Might be a bit shy in ringing them up and asking, but I really do have to. What, where do I stand legally if they don't pay? And what, what are my options? Uh, well, if they haven't paid uh, and they're outside the time for payment, then technically they've breached the contract with you. So you've got some decisions to make. How, how important is your relationship with them? Because that's going to affect how hard you push them and what you want. If you think there's going to be more business to come, you've got a decision to make. Do you chase them gently, phone them, email them, remind them the invoice is outstanding? Um, or do you say, well, this is a situation where I need the cash, I'm going to do something uh, a bit more, uh, a bit firmer in my approach? And there are different things then that you can do. Um, <clears throat> ultimately, you can take them to court. And there are various um, processes now that the government has brought in to make it simpler for, the, for you, particularly if it's a low-value sum of money. There's a web portal, which is run by the government court service, called www.moneyclaim.gov. And if you look on that web portal, then it has a process that you can follow through. You log in, and as long as you've got a credit card, you can pay the fee, and it will effectively launch the claims for you. But that's sort of a last resort. Uh, trying to have a meeting with somebody, trying to have a discussion with them is a much better way to get through. Sounds like a bit of a nuclear option, doesn't it? And as you say, if it's an important client, how far... You don't really want to annoy them, um, especially if you're going to do business with them again. Um, I find that quite a lot of people in in the tech industry don't seem to use the phone and speak to somebody. (laughs) And they tend to prefer to to, to send emails and stuff. Surely in this sort of situation, it's better to get hold of somebody and just say, look, come on, you know, you you said you'd do this. I do do need this to be paid. Um, I know you're a lawyer. And we know what, how lawyers deal, but but even you would advocate that as a first step, surely? No, absolutely. I mean, lawyers like paper trails, if I can put it that way, because you want certainty. But it's much easier to phone someone, have a conversation, and find out why the invoice hasn't been paid. Is it an issue with what's been supplied, or is it just the administrative processes? And once you know the reason, then you can always send an email afterwards just to record it just to protect your position. That doesn't have to be a long email. There's no particular magic to it in terms of a legal formula of words you use. You simply need to record why they said it wasn't going to be paid and when they said it, they were going to make the payment. And if somebody is struggling to pay, pay you, you, you could offer them payment terms, couldn't you? No, absolutely. So long as, it, it, so long as it is effectively somebody buying as part of the business, it's very simple. You can agree whatever you want. You've got complete freedom to agree. The law won't place any restrictions on you. But think about, in that situation, how you're going to stagger the payments. So, for example, if somebody owes you £1,000 and you have 10 uh, installments of £100, you might get the first two or three, but then the problem comes with four, five, six, and so some of the problem has been dealt with. So think about if you want the majority of the money up front. So in my example, perhaps having £500 immediately, um, and then the balance in 10 payments, you, you're in a much better position, because immediately the first 
payment has taken away a substantial amount of your debt because at month three, four of a payment schedule, it becomes less important to the party on the other side and the amount as you becomes less and they'll think you're more likely to just let it go. So you need a process here, don't you? You need to have a, a sort of email where you, you, you set out what you're going to do, uh, then you've got your payment terms, and then you must have a flag in your business where if something hasn't been paid on the day it should, you do need to chase it politely, and then probably get tougher and tougher as it goes along. If somebody really isn't responding, I believe now that you can you can add interest, you know, legally, and the government have brought it in. Can you just explain a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, I think the first thing to say is that if you want interest, then you can say in your sort of contract when you form it that you want to be paid interest if the money's being paid late. If you said nothing about that, then there is a statute which says it's called the Late Payment of Commercial Debts Act and effectively allows you to add <coughs> interest to commercial debts um, at the quite generous rate of base plus 10. And it gives you a fee as well for having to chase the invoice. What does base plus 10 mean? Uh, in this day and age, it means um, the, the current base rate at the Bank of England, so that's um, uh, half a percent. It's nothing at the moment, yeah. <laughs> uh, half or quarter percent or whatever it is at the time, and then you add 10% to it. So it's just over 10% now you've been able to, to charge, which is quite a substantial amount, albeit not a huge amount if the sum of dispute is quite low. So I can do that. I can I can add interest, and if it gets really hairy, I don't particularly uh, want to involve a lawyer. You know, I don't have much money. What's the small claims court about? I've heard. You know, there's a small claims court. What's what's the process for that, please, Richard? Um, I mentioned earlier the government website. That's effectively all you need to know about the small claims court, because it has replaced the idea that you go to your local court building, you fill some forms in, you get them stamped, you pay a fee. Uh, the government has brought in some technology to say effectively use this web portal and we will start the small claims process for you. So you'll fill in a form, there's a word limit in it so it's quite short, you pay a fee on your credit card and then uh, the programme together with the court service and there's a a central central court now that deals with this uh, outside London, it just processes the documentation and sends it out for you. So it takes that away from you. Uh, When the other party responds, they respond by filing something through the web portal and you can see it online how it is progressing. Uh, And it's only then if there's a continuing dispute that um, a judge might get involved by just issuing a standard form set of requirements about what you have to do, the steps you have to take um, if you actually ever wanted to take it to court. But the other thing is the court will very much um, encourage another form of dispute resolution and the most popular is mediation. And that can be done by telephone, so you don't have to come to a meeting. There'll be an independent person who will, in essence, referee between you, a bit of shuttle diplomacy, can talk to you and try and do it in one or two hours. So it's a short period of time to try and get some sort of resolution, some sort of settlement. It's not a process that's going to decide who's right and who's wrong in terms of whether payment should be made, but it's trying to actually get to a position where somebody, somebody will agree what to pay. And then that agreement can be recorded in a court order, so it's actually an order of the court, to, to then get paid. So that's a formal payment plan in a way, isn't it? Uh, yes, I mean, it would be court-backed, yeah. and so if, so if the party doesn't do it, there'll be in default of a judgment of the court, for which then there can be additional sanctions, um, including an effect on the potentially their credit rating if they default on a yeah. county court judgment. 
I would also imagine that if you're if you're a supplier and you suddenly get something from this this small claims process, that would probably encourage you to pay because you probably wouldn't want to go through that. So um, I think as, as you're going up the process, it's probably quite useful to get to that because if you suddenly got something from that's official, feels like you're going to go to court. I would imagine most of the time people just go, oh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to cough up now. Uh, absolutely, it, it changes the dynamic of the discussion because you can be trying to sort things out. And, you know, that is the best way forward to talk to people, to try and get an agreement, to try and get a discussion with somebody who can make a decision about why the money should be paid or not. If you get into the court process, that changes the dynamic. People react differently, as, as you suggested, when, when, court, when courts get involved. And it, it sometimes increases, t- turns up the ante or increases the temperature, however you want to put it. And you get a different reaction. And people will engage with it. And it forces people to decide, are they fighting or are they going to get rid of the problem? Um, having been in business myself for quite a long time, I'm afraid there are lots of people who just habitually don't pay, it feels like to me, which somehow has got to stop because it ruins a lot of businesses. It also puts people off um, going into business because they have a bad experience. Um, I do feel that um, you know, if you can be brave and, and make sure that you, you, you know, have a process and get on with it, those people who like to play the game go, oh right, they're serious, right, we'll pay them. Because there definitely are people around who, who that's how they operate their business. They only pay at the last minute when you're really threatening them, which I think is very bad business behaviour, actually. But if you go through this process, and perhaps you can give us that um, web address again in a minute, um, that just shows, if you need to be as polite as possible, but it shows that you know what you're doing, and there's a process, and after a certain amount of time, that is what you do. Yes, and, and you can make it easy for yourself. I mean, we, we talked about, sort of early in our discussion, about sort of the very basic terms of the contract. That can be a template you have it in your email. You can have it built in as a piece of text that you just copy into every email. Or you can even embody it in an email signature, for example. So you can actually make it quite simple. And then beyond that, a lot of it is sort of managing your credit risk and cash flow, saying, well, actually, how much am I going to supply to somebody before I get paid? Do I need a deposit, for example? Do I need a little bit of money up front? Do I get to a certain stage in the process and there's something to be delivered as a first sort of deliverable or several, and I don't deliver it unless I get some money. Because at least then you manage your exposure. You want to avoid the situation where you've given the other party absolutely everything, you've got nothing back, and then there's the argument. And there will be some people who will (coughs) delay payment, and they will push out payment terms, quite long payment terms, because it suits them with the way that they manage their cash flow. And I think you just have to be alive to that, that you need to manage it as well. Because particularly when you start, there's a lot going out and not much coming in. Yeah. And that's what breaks businesses, isn't it? Often you can have a highly successful business, but it's the cash. Cash is king and, and all that sort of stuff. So um, Richard Little, um, partner at um, Eversheds, that's really great advice. And certainly I would endorse that. Get, get really organised, make sure you've got a process, make sure you've got templates, as, as Richard said, and check out this website, which you're going to tell me again. Yes, it's the government portal. It's a Money Claim online website. So it's uh, www.moneyclaim.gov.uk, and you should find it there if you put it into any browser. That's fantastic um, um, yeah, expertise, and um, <laughs> thank you for your advice. Cheers, Richard. Thank you. Fantastic. That's quite interesting, wasn't it, Steve? Yeah, it's really good, actually. Yeah, invoicing is a key part of any business. That's how you get your money in at the end of the day, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Very so, yeah. good, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So on the line, we have um, Justin Lyon from Simudine. Hi, Justin. Hello, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Very good. Um, so perhaps you could tell us a little bit about um, your company, Simudine, and, and what you do. 
Sure, sure. Um, so I started Simidine because I fundamentally believe that all decisions of consequence should be subjected to a computer simulation. Um, it just dramatically improves the, our likelihood of success. Uh, and I started the company oh, probably around 2000. I came up with the idea around 2006 after spending maybe five or six years doing contract work using computer simulations after my um, studies at MIT. Right. And what sort of simulations did you start with? What what sort of arena were you working in then? Sure. So I've worked with um, looking at simulating pandemics, so the spread of disease through through populations, and yep. using that to understand insurance risk. Moved into simulating um, hydrocarbons, so via fuel value chains or the flow of the hydrocarbons across the North Sea. Yeah. Uh, worked on stuff like military flight training systems. So helping make sure that we have enough pilots in 30 years to fight whatever you know whatever situations we might face in the future. So a lot of you know really big challenging um, uh, problems that required specialized software and specialized equipment. So obviously artificial intelligence has now must have made a huge difference to what you're developing now. Is it the main driver for change in the area you're working, or are there other things that are influencing what you do? Oh, no, that's a great question. I mean, um, so multi-agent systems are sort of the bedrock of what we do at Simudyne and also the bedrock of how do you enable artificial intelligence at scale. So, you know, uh, you know I had a, a wonderful opportunity to, to just on Friday to, to meet the, the founder of DeepMind, Dennis, and uh, sort of he was mentioning this idea, you know, that all decisions of consequence should be subjected to a computer simulation. And and he, like many of us in the field, completely agreed. So when you look at when you look at artificial intelligence, you know what is it? It's a simulation of human intelligence, and that's that's the goal of everything that um, those of us have studied multi-agent systems. And when you have a multi-agent system, you it, it's a very complex sounding term, but it's really just sort of a, a high fidelity copy of the real world. And then you can insert into those, you know, copies of the real world intelligence, and they can figure out all sorts of really interesting, cool things. So that must require quite a lot of data, to, you know, to, to get a real, you know, um, you know, a simulated version of the world. You know, even if even if you're sort of replicating just, um, you know, just a, you know, a, a certain sort of thing. You know, if you're looking at like a disease or something like that, there's a lot of data you've got to collect there, right? Uh, yes, um, I mean I think there's data. Certainly, that's you know getting data is always important, um, and there's been you know, massive pushes across the last ten years in you know gathering data. You know, certainly, we have lots of data available from um, all sorts of different sources now with things like the Internet of Things and sensors and different uh, data repositories. So, getting data you know historically was very very challenging, but not so much today. Um, I think one of the important things that maybe many people don't understand is whenever I mention this idea about simulation, always people always say, oh, you must have to get a lot of data. Mm. And I really challenge them because what we're doing is weaving together physics and statistics. And people tend to think that what we're doing is sort of like a, a curve-fitting exercise, putting a line against the historic data, and that is the antithesis of what we do uh, as you die. It's a completely different approach. So data is important, but far more important is the physics. Okay, okay so I come, I come from a bit of an emergency services background. And uh, we use uh, experiential, uh, what you use is your experience to influence your decision-making process in an emergency situation. So you will use experiential factors 
when you determine what course of action you will take. Now, how can that feed into a, an AI process where it's not just data, it's I've seen that or I've experienced it before, therefore that's going to guide my decision-making? Great question. I mean, you know, if you think about where did your experience come from, it came from, you know, uh, living in the real world. So it's encountering sure. similar situations in the past, yeah. perhaps failing, learning yeah, from very much failure. So. Yeah, my colleagues yeah. would tell you I failed quite a lot, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all have, and, and, but that can be very expensive. And in disaster management or emergency response, the causes, you know, the consequences can be fatal, literally. You know, people die. Yeah. And, and so those are very expensive mistakes. And, and much like a fighter pilot will train for you know, thousands of hours in a flight simulator before they take action in the real world, before they you know, engage the enemy, they're, they're far more likely to survive. Now, they know that nothing that they experience in the flight simulator is going to be exactly like what they experience in the real world. It's a pale imitation. Yeah. Nevertheless, nevertheless, they're far more likely to survive. So... What we tell executives and policymakers is if you've simulated the evacuation of your tunnel, okay, or an evacuation of the underground uh, once, twice, a thousand times, a million times, and you've simulated it in a highly realistic way with the technologies that we're talking about, then certainly you'll never experience exactly what you simulated because life is difficult. Mm -hmm. But you're far more likely to get the people out safely than if you hadn't done that work. Yeah, yeah. no, it is fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, I understand that you're um, the the platform's called Providence, and you're and you're now working with a lot of um, uh, you know uh, financial institutions and, and and complex markets, banks, and the like. So, ha what sort of scenarios are you working on with them? Sure, great, great question. So, so after the two thousand and eight um, you know crash or crisis, whatever we want to call it, you know what was what many banks found out was that their sort of simplistic models. Now, these were very complex seeming models, but at their, at their core, the mathematics is actually quite trite. Mm -hmm. and, and what they realized is that they needed to have a much more robust um, view of how their complex markets actually work. Um, so this would be, for example, the UK housing market. So being able to simulate um, the UK housing market, all 27 million homes and the homeowners that live in those homes, to understand things like, you know, the buy-to-let phenomenon or the owner-occupier. Like, what's the trade-off between different policies around um, changing different things associated with that? And what impact might that have on housing prices? Because, you know, we're, many of us have plowed much of our life savings into our homes. And if those asset prices were to precipitously decline, meaning that they were the value of the house was actually less than we owed the bank, that would be catastrophic. Mm. So, so this is the type, of, um, uh, the type of modeling that our platform enables you to do uh, for the banks so they can really deeply understand these sort of housing market dynamics and what's happening. Yeah, that's, that's really yeah no, it is. And, and I was just, just wondering, so um, you, you simulate these, these, um, the, you know, these uh, events or what have you. How, how, how do your clients actually, how do they experience them? Is, is it, you know, in-depth 3D, you know, um, VR or...? Oh, great question, yeah. So, so they look a little bit like video games. I, I mean, and, and I say that very cautiously because <laughs> to many of the executives that we work with are very serious people. Sure. And, and it almost is slightly belittling 
um, when you use this idea of a video game. But, but what's really compelling about video games is that they cram a lot of information into a user interface mm-hmm. that so they can take an enormously complex... You know, think of SimCity, for example, or you know, the game Civilization. These are really fun games. Um, but similarly, you can cram an enormous amount of data and physics about how the complex ecosystem works um, into a user interface that any group of executives can be, you know, in five different cities can be logged in mm-hmm. simultaneously, and they can start asking what if, you know, what if questions, what if there was a 50 basis point shift in the yield curve? What is the impact on my P&L? Or what if we were to target um, this customer base with this new savings product? You know, what would be the likely you know, adoption by, by that particular part of the population? And, and then they can then say, well, you know what? We, we failed. That didn't work out. But all they have to do is hit reset. They haven't actually squandered any money or, or, mm. or launched yeah. something in the real world. It's just been in this synthetic virtual world where they can safely experiment. I mean, one of the issues, obviously, is that we're swamped with data. You know that that you know if you're a senior executive, we're executive, drowning in it. We are absolutely, and it's how do you cut through that? Yeah, that's normal user data, but that's data that could really uh, lead to a market advantage or greater profit or a broader range of products. Or it's it's data that's going to show me or tell me that we're in real trouble. How do we get to that, or how do we see that? Sure, that's a great question. So if you if you think about it, you know. Data is about what happened. You know, what happened, what is the implications? And then what we're really interested in as an organization or as, a, as, a, as people is what could happen to me? What could happen to my firm? What could happen to my country? And in order to get to that, you know, what could happen, you use these mathematical techniques. Uh, we don't have to go into it, but there's three sort of legs to the predictive analytics um, stool. And if you not take any one of them away, the thing tips over. Um, so, so this drowning in data is overcome by using these three techniques that have sort of ridden the big data wave, and that's what enables executives to ask these what-if questions. If, if all they're doing is, is, is taking data and sort of you know, massaging it and making it look pretty and sticking it into a, you know, a dashboard, that's the equivalent of a rearview mirror. It's, it's beautiful to know where you've been, yeah. and there's many organizations that have, have really cracked that, and they've got enormously beautiful you know, dashboards, you know, built with all sorts of WYSI tools. But that's not what we're focused on. What we're focused on is just sort of defogging the windshield, right? Yeah. yeah and letting, sure. them, letting them see the road ahead of them. And the way that we're doing that um, enables them to take control of the steering wheel. Uh, you, know, they can, you know, they can go, you know, accelerate and decelerate, brake as they need to, because they can see the curves that, that life's getting ready to throw at them. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's really fascinating. So we... AR really seems to be sort of coming, um, coming of age to a certain degree, and, and, and we're seeing more applications in terms of training um, and remote training and things like that. So where do you see it going eventually? Great question. So if you think about it, like, when we, when we talk about building a computer simulation, let, let's use something that everyone can connect with, which is people trying to escape a burning building, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, the same math that we use to understand that can also be similar math applied to trying to avoid a stock market crash. But let's just park that to one side. We can represent the people trying to leave the building as dots moving on a floor plan. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, as they head towards the exit. We could represent the little dots as 3D avatars that lived in a virtual world. So you can actually see the person running to the exit. Mm-hmm. Or we could visualize them as 3D avatars, avatars that are you know, surrounding us in a three-dimensional space because we've got the, you know, the whole lens or the, some sort of Oculus Rift on our eyes. 
or taking it to the next level, you can even represent them as projecting them onto the real world, you know, as augmented reality. Mm-hmm. So, so what we're talking about is it, it's the visualization of, of, of this virtual world. So the visualization can be maths, mathematicians like that. It can be dots on a floor plan, or it can be, you know, 3D avatars that are projected, you know, into your eye uh, that seem to float in this, in this augmented reality. Mm. Yes. It's a function of what's necessary to help you understand the situation. So, so for most of the executives that we're working with, you know, the idea of augmented reality, it's, it's, it's coming, absolutely, but we're still trying to get, you know, uh, you know, we're on that continuum of trying to make that happen. Mm. So um, tell us where we can get further information. We've obviously got Simudyne's uh, web presence. Is it Providence at the main... Uh, yeah, if you go to if you go to providence.ai, so, yeah. so in the future, you know, you know, people are going to ask Providence for help. That's that's the whole plan sure. of what we're doing as, mm. as a company. Um, so when you have questions, you know, what if I do this? What if I do that? You'll ask Providence for that. So if you go to providence.ai, yep. you can learn more information. Also, and, there's a great uh, video, uh, uh, impl- uh, you know, section on your website. Actually, gives a, a great deal of information. I must admit, I'm just looking at it as we speak. It's um, it's actually really good to, to explain what you do and how you how things will change in time as well. Yeah, and, and those are some really interesting people I'm presenting alongside with um, from Cloudera. Um, so we're doing some really interesting things now with Cloudera. They're, they've raised a billion dollars. So they're one of you know one of the unicorns, and we've got a very close collaboration with them. Fantastic, great. Well, well, thank you so much for joining us, Justin. I think it's um. It's a huge subject, and I think it's something that you've put into great context for us. For us, so thank you so much for that. And just to say, it's Providence.ai where there's further information. So thanks for joining us, Justin. My pleasure. Thanks. Cheers. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, there we go, Dan. That's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it is actually. Yeah. So uh, we've got the guys back in, and um, it's just really the end of the show. And did you know today? believe it or not, and I think Harry's going to cover this, is International Day of Happiness, Harry. Did you know that? How happy um, are you, Harry? I did actually know that, yeah. yeah. Uh, Why would you have it on a Monday? Yeah, strange that, isn't it? But yeah. um, there is one story maybe related to that. So think of happy places as the human race. Yeah. Maybe the toilet. What? Eh? You know, like yeah, so a place you where you go, you I'm know. I'm thinking, yeah, my <laughs> snug, or maybe my <laughs> yeah. gaming room, yeah. or <laughs> the <laughs> bar, or yeah. maybe the kitchen. I'm not, not thinking, top, not number no. one on my list is the toilet, Or number Harry. two. Okay, or number well. two, yeah, number two on my list is, so yeah. This guy in Beijing disagrees. So Beijing <laughs> is apparently the most uh, monitored city. It's got the most CCTV cameras. Right. And they were saying the one place you can go for privacy is the toilet. That is no longer the case. Really? So apparently in Beijing, in the public toilets, they're setting up a face recognition so basically, they've got a problem where people keep going in and stealing all the toilet roll. So <laughs> to access the toilet roll, you have to have your face scanned um, to so that you can access the toilet roll. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, whether <laughs> whether you'd be very happy to have your sort of toilet activity monitored like that. Uh, Dan, <laughs> um, I'll leave you with that question. Well, I've got nothing to hide, but I'm not sure anyone would want to watch. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> All I can think is you're really weird, Harry. Yeah, <laughs> really? that's the only thing I could well, think of. Well, they managed to write a whole of story about it, so it must be a problem. Of all the fantastic things <laughs> yeah. to cover World on Happiness Day. International <laughs> Day of Happiness, Harry covers the toilet. Danny. I don't think I can beat that. Um, the one I had was that the US Army have 
taken down a quadcopter drone worth 165 pounds and the missile that they used was worth 2.5 million pounds 2.5 million quid so Does no happiest for the guy that sent that missile up yeah. into the sky yeah. the US attorney, probably out of the job <laughs> the US attorney said it may not be economically wise to mm. use this in the future though. Yeah, it doesn't look sustainable does it yeah. no and then, oh well and then the other one just one very quick one is that the VELAP app which is all in the news at the moment which is live video editing has got launched this week and as an exclusive, we actually have him on next week with us. Oh, oh fantastic. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah really, good. really good. Well, guys, we've come to the end of the show. Dan, thank you so much, buddy. Thank you very much, Steve. Wonderful yeah. as ever. Cheers, Harry. What Cheers. a great unboxing. <laughs> we really, really must stop you buying them. More yeah. next week. Yeah, <laughs> and Danny, great first show, mate. Well done. Thank, thank you. Guest producer. See you next week. <laughs>